a lesson for people who are listening to the podcast is it is good to not just like, don't just let your mom read it. Like you want to get, yeah, you want to have a couple of views of feedback. Welcome to Creative Insanity. Creative Insanity. servant. I'm a rap artist and producer from Canada, and this is my podcast, Creative Insanity. Let me start by saying that I apologize for not uploading this much sooner. I had some computer problems, a stupidly busy summer, and a major overhaul to my studio. But let it not detract from the fact that this episode is a special one. Dark fantasy author Crystal Bork returns to critique my original short story, Arthur, which I start the episode with. But more than that, This episode is about what it means to give and receive criticism in general. Thank you for waiting patiently. I hope you've had a terrific summer. Let's get into it. Welcome everyone to part two of my conversation with Crystal Bork. She's, uh, yeah, she's still here, which is great. (laughs) Great for me because uh, last episode, if you missed part one, we read her story to the prompt, whosoever delights in solitude is either a beast or a god. Uh, is that pretty close? That was, that was pretty close. Do you want me to read it again? Or? I think I got it. I don't even, we don't even need to read it. <laughs> okay, fair enough. That, I'm pretty sure that's it. Uh, and it was very good. It was a great story. It was a good piece of fantasy that besides that, we get into who she is as a person. We kind of get to know her a little bit and her writing. And we talk a little bit about her trilogy, the Book of Eve series that is becoming a, what's it called? Quadruplici, <laughs> a fourth a fourth book series. Yes, a four book series. The technical term. a quad yeah. a quad tuplet. Quadrilogy. I like it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So check that out if you haven't. And now that you're here, though, um, we're just going to start this one with my story. So the prompt was: Whosoever delights in solitude is either a beast or a god. Is that it? Wow. Ah, is either a wild beast or a god. So that's the prompt. And my story is called Arthur. Oh, I'm a little winded. Let me pour myself some tea first. Make, <laughs> make you yeah. wait. It's, uh, I feel like this one's going to require a good, good breath control. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's from all, all the all caps, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's just screaming. It's going to be good. It's her turn, finally. Missy was supposed to be sleeping this whole time, but predictably, the nerves got to her. She's a mite early. Her father doesn't ask her to take a shift often, but it's easiest when the boy is asleep. Despite her reservation, that twisting little wrench above her intestines, she is glad to offer the old man some relief. According to the glowing face of her watch, it is 2.35 a.m. Not sure if that's accurate anymore, all that matters is that its face matches everyone else's in the camp across the ravine. Thank you, Dad whispers, eyes nearly closed tight. He places a gentle hand on Missy's shoulder, and with the other he hands over the CO2 pistol. This is an addition to her Glock. She looks up at the brim of white hair framing his face and smiles meekly. She remembers when it had color and the world was better. Moonlight traces the brow of his head like a translucent spirit, Refracted moonlight through the mouth of the tent above him gives him a halo. Missy would never admit this, but she's too scared to whisper a reply. 
too nervous that the boy will wake. All she can do is hope her smile says what her father needs to hear. This is silly, though. The boy being awake isn't the problem. It only ever happens when he is alone. But the fear is there. And the wind bullies the forest. The smell of the wild is somehow as confining as it is freeing tonight, her hair beating the side of her face in as much protest as it is in solidarity with the element. Her smile is as hopeful as it is sad. She has a good father. Already this moment is a memory. She's sitting in the tent now, the boy wrapped and covered in sleeping bags, not even an inch of him visible underneath it all. His hiking shoes by the door flap, muddy despite it being a dry day today. She keeps hers on. Dad would be in the camp by now, resting properly in the camper. He would have taken the secondary boat across the ravine and hiked all three kilometers to get there. But a solid, undisturbed six hours of sleep is worth it. The sight of her father leaving echoes for some reason, however. A vision of his silhouette trailing into darkness toward the edge of the water where she came from, his boots clunking to the forest floor like anvils. The sound of crunching still fails to reach her ears, however. The wind has carried it away. The wind carries everything away, including the sound of nearby running water. Missy looks towards the pile that is her brother and huddles under her father's blankets, still fully dressed, unable to lie down. She needs to stay awake. The pistol has a 42-inch long neck, but she keeps it outside the covers astride her right leg, the handle gripped tightly. Her 9mm Glock is kept strapped to the inside of her opposite calf, as it always is. It's been six months since they started shifts, eight months since it happened. She's never had to use the dart, not yet anyway. Dad has. She's imagined shooting the boy before, of course, even without him having turned. Just watching him play in the trees while someone from camp keeps him busy can be enough. Why is it fair that the boy gets to play and she is left to start fires and cook like mom used to? Why is it fair that dad still loves him? Missy finds herself wondering if the boy can feel her caution projecting onto him from her green eyes. Maybe Arthur is having a dream about something beautiful. Do monsters dream? No, Arthur is still, she thinks, because he sleeps like all little boys tend to sleep. Arthur is dead to the world after a full day of supervised playing in his own little universe, something devoid of adult troubles. Missy is nearly 16 now, twice his age, in fact. She's more adult than her parents ever were at this age, and that's not just because the world was better then. Her father does what he can to protect her from the world, but he can't protect her from everything. Not with food, sorted, food shortages, not with raiders and killers and rapists and murderers out there for blood. Not with monsters. Especially with mum gone, Missy's father can't protect her anymore. She is the woman of the house now. The woman of the camper, more specifically. And tonight, woman of the tent. This thought is the one that becomes her pablum. Somewhere in it she finds her mind wander to other fields. A memory is playing for her and she takes, and it takes her away from the tent. Arthur is covered in blood in this vision, red soaking the snow in a messy pile, clothes left somewhere else and heat dissipating into thin evening air while Missy watches her father wail on his knees. The cavity in her chest feels like the hollow cavity in a volcano, air so hot that it burns her nostrils on the way out. Arthur is back to a little boy now, but the future is forever changed. Arthur killed mum.
it isn't his fault. Dad cries. It isn't his fault. It isn't his fault. It isn't his fault. The volcano erupts from Missy's mouth as she collapses onto her father. A truer moment, truer moment never existed than when she vomited at the sight of it all. Everything came out in this moment. All of the terror from the world changing, all of the fear that something would happen to their family like it happened to other families, all of it pours out of her. She sees her naked little brother turn his head in the pool of blood and open his eyes. They are bluer than water, confused and terrified. That's an image she never forgets. Missy opens her mouth to scream, but instead what happens is she wakes in a sticky sweat, too hot under blankets, a CO2 pistol pressed firmly into her leg against the mattress, and the wind playing with the tent walls like the hand of God twisting tissue paper. She props herself up in darkness and checks the glowing watch. Eyes searching through sleep. The time is 3.32 a.m. It takes a moment, but she realizes the wind feels stronger than it should. The flap is unzipped and her little brother's muddy shoes are gone. When Missy was born, her mother gave her the name Artemis. It was never popular, but it was hers. It took years before she realized how misplaced of a name it was, how wrong it was to call her Artemis some stupid Greek goddess. She hated being called Artemis as a little girl from Montana, or even worse, art. Missy was anything but artistic as a child. She couldn't write very well, Though admittedly, she's always had a fondness for poetry. Even now, when Dad comes across books of poetry on his adventures, he brings them to her. The last book of poetry she received was just before Mom was killed, actually. A small paperback collection of Rudyard Kipling's work. She didn't like it much. That said, Missy has long had an eye for what is haunting and ironic. And Artemis was known as Goddess of the Hunt. Missy's hand is sweating as she holds the CO2 pistol, still hot from her sleep one hand over the other. She steps out of the tent slower than she ought, the wind cool against her face in contrast. The light of the moon is strong enough to see shadows, but the wind is stronger still, and so it moves them. Calling Arthur's name is both an urge and a nightmarish idea. If he's been alone for long enough already, then it's enough to have turned him. Calling for him would be to call for a beast, and it takes him a lot longer to turn back than to turn in the first place. Better that he gets lost in the forest until his energy dies than to confront him, she thinks. It's just that if he hasn't turned, calling for him might help prevent another tragedy. She needs to know if he's headed towards camp. Missy scours the forest floor for evidence of where her brother might have gone, her sound untraceable underneath the shroud of wind. This would have been a good time to radio her father, she thinks, but they've been without batteries for months now. Fucking Arthur. Missy hates him, and the little bastard knows full well that he couldn't have snuck out here with Dad watching him instead. He would only try this with her. He's probably been waiting to do this for months, she thinks. He's probably just wants to prove once and for all to Dad to never leave Missy alone with him. He has his own motives for sure. They're just selfish ones. Something lurches in the forest. The wind seems to grow silent for her as she lowers herself toward the ground. CO2 pistol aiming firmly in the direction of whatever it is. Her heart beats like a hummingbird's wings. That's about all she hears for a while. It doesn't matter how many times Dad said that it wasn't his fault. Missy can't unsee what she saw. She can never forget what happened to Mom. And Arthur knows that being alone for too long is what it takes to turn him. They've all figured that part out, at least. Unless anyone forgets, he fully understands when he turns. He is strong enough to kill. Mom wasn't the only one who died on that day. 
that this is willful on his part is the only conclusion. Why can't he just stay in the goddamn tent? Arthur, she whispers. No one will hear that. The moment has passed, but she's no less paranoid. Missy is mostly convinced that the sound was just a tree keeling over and surrendered to the wind. She makes one last scan of the forest line and starts to move silently toward the ravine and the camp beyond. The CO2 pistol is supposed to be enough to knock him down in a hurry and not kill him. It's what Dad has insisted they use if worse comes to worse. But Missy still feels the glock on her leg. What happens is loud. Not a bang, but a crack. The nearest tree to her thunders through its roots as something slams into it. Missy stumbles away from it as the heartbeat in her chest raises its voice, a pounding as big in her ears as the wind. A shadow, the figure of a wild creature, raises its back to cover moonlight. She falls backwards, catches her ribcage accidentally with something blunt from the forest floor. Her breath leaves, and the CO2 pistol slaps sharply against her forehead and hard. This was the result of a stumbling and stupid attempt to steady herself. She's disorientated. The creature stands on its back legs as she returns to reality. It is close to 10 feet tall. Its rolling shoulders may be four feet wide, moonlight reaching across them like hairy fingers. Then it roars powerfully. Not even the wind can dim the sound as it vibrates Missy's teeth into a chatter. She pushes through the pain in her ribs and crawls backward during its war cry. She attempts to lift the pistol and shoot, but she can't, not with that right arm in that position. It hurts too much. The creature lands on all fours, shakes the earth, and it grunts. It moves toward her. She can smell it now, the foulness of its breath, like a corpse rotting against its fur. Maybe it's already killed. Maybe Arthur has instinctively headed back for her after already visiting camp. But no, that can't be. Missy would have heard screaming, she considers, even from this distance. The beast swings its arm on the approach and bats a small tree out of the way between them. The snapping of wood is like the sound of gunfire. In desperation, Missy gives up on reeling backward and instead lets her body fall flat. A blinding white pain connects her back ribs to her right eye socket as she does. Then, both arms unburdened, she uses the left to steady the right's aim, elbow leveraged firmly in the dirt. Pull it. The sound is like a sharp whistle, but paired with a simultaneous and sickening crackle from the end of the barrel. The beast is unmoved, continuing toward her at the same pace. It seconds away. The single three-millimeter dart should have launched, but it clearly didn't. Her mind panics to understand what happened. She struggles backwards some more without thinking. She struggles to buy time. She drops the CO2 pistol. Something is wrong, and that feeling is cemented by the realization that a spray of liquid has hit her face. It reeks of chemical. She feels sick. The tranquilizer must have splattered out the end of the barrel, she realizes. The wind has carried it back onto her face. She sees the barrel of the CO2 pistol gleaming in the moonlight between her and the beast for just a moment from its final resting place. The barrel has been bent, and that's what caused the syringe to shatter. That's how hard it must have hit her forehead. Missy rolls onto her stomach and uses all her strength to scramble away from the creature. If she can make it to the ravine alive, if she can make it to the boat, that's all that matters. She can row the canoe faster than Arthur can swim. She has to believe that. Adrenaline carries her under her feet and into a run. She can hear him coming behind her, but she weaves into thicker trees, scratching her face and ripping her hood. Every breath hurts. Every breath is becoming hot like that volcano. She finds herself wiping sweat from her forehead while she moves. 
only to catch moonlight and see that it isn't sweat. Her head is as red as the Nile. The smell of the water hits her as the sound of crashing behind her intensifies. A vicious growl from the creature's belly behind, like a child screaming, calls to her. It's different than the creature first sounded when it roared further away and further away somehow. She runs on top of her shadow and desperately towards the canoe, slips on the rocks as she stumbles down the beach but manages to keep her footing. She can see her father's boat on the other side of the water now, about 30 meters away from a, over a slow rapid. Firmly out of the thick forest, she collides into the canoe with her whole body, pain threatening to put her to sleep. She shuffles the boat forward into the water, refusing to turn around. She is afraid to turn. The forest is no longer crashing behind her, though, she realizes. The monster has reached the beach. Without looking, Missy jumps into the canoe and lurches over the side with her paddle, pushing it away from the shore, her feet soaking up to her shins. She remembers the glock, hugging her leg in its holster above her soaking shoe. She turns to see. The creature is a bear, massive and menacing. Its fur isn't dark enough to be black, she thinks, but probably a deep brown, hard to tell in the light. It stands on the edge of the water defiantly and roars with something akin to anger, wind blowing the forest into a crazed dance behind it. She's still grasping for breath. The bear crashes with its front paws into the ravine, splashes in a fury toward her until it's deep enough to swim, water turning its fur into mush, its features softer, panting in the water. Missy's about halfway across the ravine when a second creature emerges from the forest, its size roughly equal to the bear but shoulders not as broad. It walks almost pensively toward the water, as if a monster immersed in thought. It reaches the edge and screeches like the bear did, only this one has the sound of that screaming boy inside of it penetrating through the wind. Arthur, Missy says. The bear continues for Missy and instantly she makes a decision in her concussed brain. It takes wiping another bout of blood from her eyes before she can act, but then she sticks the oar against the current and turns the canoe, aiming its nose to paddle downstream. Missy would rather die than lead Arthur to her father. She would rather die. Without actually thinking, Missy drops the oar for a moment in the canoe and unholsters her glock, sets it on her lap, and continues to row. The bear corrects its course toward her, but Missy's gaze remains fixed on Arthur, who hunches over and plunges headfirst into the deep water, shrinking underneath the surface where he can't be seen. She sees the trail of water part behind him toward her canoe and then disappear. She keeps rowing as fast as she can. Every pull in the water is like a knife being twisted inside her ribcage. Blood drips off of the end of her nose and onto the glock. The bear is gaining on her, closing the distance. A thud. Her canoe hits something and it dislodges her from her seat. She lands on her arms into the hull of a wobbly canoe. Maybe it was a rock. She grabs the glock as a last hope for life and rolls onto her back in time to see the paw of the bear grab the fat end of the canoe. All at once, its weight pulls the end into the water and Missy is suddenly swarmed, the sound of wind replaced with the hollow moans of traveling water, deadening the pounding in her head. Everything is cold. Something grabs her leg and the pain is immense. She screams and nothing but air bubbles flood around her. She is thrashing, unable to see. She swallows water, but she doesn't know which way is up. All she can do is swim, and so she does through unbearable pain. She swims with every molecule of energy left in her body. She swims until she somehow finds air, grasping and coughing in a fit. 
Blood fills her eyes, but she wipes it away and heads for shore, kicking her legs and almost crying from the pain. On shore, everything around her is surprisingly silent. Or is that what happens to your head when you're about to die? Missy rolls onto her back. It looks onto a moonlit ravine, ripples of water being the only evidence that remains from her capsizing. She coughs so hard that it feels like another rib breaks. She clings to it and curls into a ball, constantly glancing towards the water, grasping for as much as she can see through the blinding pain. After what feels like minutes, she manages to sit up and crawl a bit. She climbs higher, realizes that she's not all that far away from her father's boat. She's on the side of camp, still another few kilometers away, but she can make it. She has to. She examines her leg where the bear grabbed her and is shocked to see it isn't bleeding much. It hurts more than anything. She has to get to camp before Arthur does. She heaves to move up the bank, bramble bushes stabbing her, but stops when she hears the water come to life. A creature emerges from the water, slowly, as if in pain. Narrow shoulders, heavy breathing, and bloody against moonlight. It whimpers almost, legs far skinnier than a bear, but still nearly ten feet long. It drags something with its hind legs. Missy shakes a little more water out of the glock and aims it down toward the beast. Arthur has the bear in its grip, she sees. The bear has its head torn on the neck and hardly even attached, dragging on rocks behind its massive body, limp and disgusting. Arthur lets out a roar, and it shocks her. She hears her brother screaming from within the creature as if from the bowels of hell. The beast is weak and collapses into a pile on the rocks, breathing heavily with a big chest rising and falling. Missy moves toward him, the gun trained but nevertheless shaking. The cold is palpable. Arthur sees her. Thank you. Missy says. Everything seems to be hitting her all at once. Her eyes fill with tears and blood. She lowers the pistol but keeps her finger on the trigger. The monster is not making an effort to move toward her, she realizes. Arthur is too injured to do anything more than lay there like she is. Maybe his bloodlust has been satisfied by the bear. Maybe he doesn't have enough strength to kill her too. Missy stays with her brother for a long time his monster eyes as blue as the water, and watches him. She watches his body shrink and contort back into a frail and wiry little boy, eventually and naked and covered in blood as bleak as the bear's fur. She feels sorry for him for the first time since mom died. She hugs him and holds him close under her arm, leaning on him as they walk together through unrelenting wind towards their father. <laughs> the end. <laughs> Ah, it's it's longer than my others. Is it? <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. Your, your other stories? The other I, ones were under two thousand. This one's three and a half. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I uh. mean, so initially, like my first, so I read it a couple times. Um, in the initial read through, I mean. Holy smokes, dramatic. <laughs> well, <laughs> but like in a good in a good way, obviously. Um, I think my first thought was, um, I'm really glad you went with this theme because initially, when reading the quote, I I had a, I was like, oh, werewolves, like for sure, like right, some creature in the woods, werewolves. However, I didn't think I had I would I I had enough of an idea that was unique enough. Um, to, to 
make it my own and pass it off as, cause I mean, werewolves have been done. Yeah. Yeah. Time and time again. So in reading yours, I was like, Oh, you nailed it. Like this is such a unique spin um, on, on something that, that I guess, not that it's cliched, but there's, there's so much. Yeah. There's a lot of them out there you know, lore and, and all that stuff. So uh, immediately I was like, oh, well done. Like you took something um, that I, I thought I couldn't do um, and and you made it your own and, and that's wonderful. And I think that's awesome. Um, so yeah, again, on, on first reading, I, I love the intensity of it. I love the, um, the, the drama between uh, family mm. and <laughs> this, it, basically it's an awful, awful situation. I mean, um, I don't think any family member that accidentally kills yeah, their mother terrible. You know, it, it's, <laughs> uh, would cause a little bit of tension at Thanksgiving, but you know, <laughs> at least, um, yeah. yeah. So I really, uh, overall, I really loved the concept and I thought you executed it really well. And like you said, I mean, you knew you had a good idea. You were very excited about it. And uh, uh, I think you pulled it off really well. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks so much. Um, yeah, I told you, I, I had the first burst of writing, and I got the first like 900 words in. And then okay. I, I think we had a writer's group. And that's when I told you, oh, if I can deliver on this story, I didn't tell you what it was about. But I said, yeah. like, I feel like it's got such a hook or something. But if I can I deliver, I don't know. That was the point. The last line I wrote was basically that she noticed her brother had left the tent. Okay, That's where I was in the story. And I was like, Ah, what's gonna happen? <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, as a pantser, I can imagine like not not knowing where it goes, but writing it to that point. Um, yeah, I would feel a little pressure filled, but it was interesting. Think, yeah, no, I think you did a, a great job in in uh, expanding it. And again, I'm just I, I am super impressed with the fact that you pants that <laughs> that whole thing, right? Um. So yeah, I'm just gonna go through, I guess, and just as you did for me, tell you um, sure, my yeah. thoughts. No, I, I appreciate um, appreciate it. Yeah. Um, so again, I really like the the beginning. Um, as mentioned, you know, like the first couple lines really hooked me because it's it's this where are they? You know, what's going on? She's taking like she's taking a shift, but like we're talking about a boy. We have to protect a boy. Um, but she's really not happy about it. So lots of questions at the beginning, um, which I think you really kind of dive into uh, slowly in, in, a, in a, a really excellent kind of tension-filled way. Definitely tension-filled. Uh, filled. That's yeah. definitely like, I love tension for some reason. Like I, I can't, I, every story I think I've written for the podcast so far has some element of tension big time. Like it's, it's very, uh, it's like a thriller, right? It's the, um, you do a really good job of like each sentence kind of leading on to, to the next or like paragraph. So it's it's the um, uh, giving enough information where I'm just like, okay, like what's what's going on? What are we right. dealing with here? <laughs> um, and then the fact that like, you know, this is a child and suddenly we have a pistol and we have a Glock. Yeah. And like, what is this girl doing with with these weapons? Like what what is going on? Um, and I also really like, the um the wind element that like it's a couple of paragraphs later but uh and the wind bullies the forest mm. um and then you go into more of the wind a little bit later on um 
I think a little bit further down. Yeah, the wind is sort of like became a character in itself, um, honestly. like Which I really liked because the moment you start mentioning the wind and how loud it is and how she can't hear anything else, I mean, that just amps up the tension even more because you just know something bad is going to happen and potentially nobody's going to hear her. Mm. Um, so I really liked uh, those elements as well. And I really love the line. Um, uh, uh, Missy opens her mouth to scream, but instead what happens is she wakes in sticky sweat, too hot under the blankets, a CO2 pistol, um, and the wind playing with the tent walls like the hand of God twisting tissue paper. Um, oh, man. That was one of my my favorite lines because it's just visually uh, incredibly impactful. Um, Thanks. You know where that line came from? <laughs> I I had a near-death experience with a tarp when I was, yeah, when I was 19, I think, 18, 19, something like that. Near-death where it was a huge, I say near-death because it could have easily ended that way. Okay. I won't, I won't get into it how crazy it was, but basically it was like a hundred meters meter 100 feet tarp 100 foot tarp and it was a very rather calm day and i was spreading it out with four people at this campsite and all of a sudden like the wind picked up and it ripped it out of our hands and it and it flew up like a tornado and like the image in my mind was like a god like god taking a tissue paper and twisting it because it and then it basically wrapped and turned into a tornado it crashed into me and it completely enwrapped my body and drug me a hundred yards down a beach and deposited me just just outside of the water. And then when I looked up, it was like like two hundred feet in the air, like a tornado above oh above the lake. And so I think it was my weight that kept it down, but I could have just as easily been drugged right into the water. It was a very surreal experience. Uh, we won't get that, it. Sorry, like I'm <laughs> That's where that line came from. <laughs> It's not every day you hear somebody say they were almost taken yeah. out by a tarp. That's terrifying. Yeah, tarps but scared me for a long time. That line, because it's a, it's a great line. <laughs> it's the only reason I almost died by a tarp yes. was to write that line. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the, the only thing I'd say about, especially the beginning part, I guess, before um, Arthur leaves the tent, um, and I think these are easy fixes, it's just... Um, you have a lot of thoughts, but then they sometimes don't line up. So, so uh, for example, um, Missy, uh, she mentions his father. So he says, thank you. And he um, uh, leaves the tent, I think. Yeah. Um, which also great lines. Like she remembers when his hair had color and the world was better. Amazing line. Um, and you know, she hopes that her smile is everything that her dad needs to hear, but she is afraid. And then we talk about the wind um, uh, and the smell of the wild is somehow as confining as it is freeing tonight, her hair beating the side. So I get an image of the wind, but then she says she has a good father. So there's kind of a disjoint between, oh, we're still right. talking about the father, but we're talking about the wind. So there's a couple of moments of that when, again, yeah. all, I, all I think is you just need a, a bit of, of tweaking um, just to kind of carry through thoughts or interesting. Uh, yeah. Like the way that it could be organized could be a little bit different. Right. Um, and then I kind of like, like I like the disjointed nature of it too, where, uh, the next line is already the moment. This moment is a, a memory. So she's sitting in the, the tent now. Yeah. Um, uh, 
I think like transition sentences to a bit because she, she has a good father, but um, has he left? I, we don't know if oh, he's. Oh yeah. Yeah. I knew that this, I, I suspected that this might've got a little bit too poetical for its own good. Basically the direction where it's like, he is there. Thank you. He says to her and then he takes off and goes back home. And it was kind of like, yeah, I take like a bit of a mini flash forward. Right. Like the she has a good father line. I don't I I see your point there and I got to think about that more because it it is just like out of nowhere. But I guess it was like for some reason it just worked for me. I was like, yeah, that's where it's cool. at. Yeah. But then well, this this next part where I transition to it's like this is a memory and we're like fast forwarding a bit where she's in the tent and I'm kind of catching you up where now she's like thinking about her father having left. I get, yeah, it's like, it's a bit, I don't know, maybe convoluted. Like it could have been a little bit more like, and then he leaves and now we're here instead of like bringing us through a rigmarole of, oh, she's like thinking about him leaving, but. Yeah. It's just, it's just like visually for me. Um, yeah. Disjointed. Yeah. It's a little bit disjointed and it's not, it's not to the point where I don't know what's happening. You know, I can put two and two together. It's just a little bit clearer maybe even yeah remo removing the line she has a good father although i do like it because um it does uh give the reader the idea that like her and her father she she loves her father she's just really pissed at arthur right yeah. it's it's not him that she has a problem with um and she knows that she has a good father um so yeah just like tightening it up tweaking it so that the flow is a little bit better in terms of where character it characters are where they're going yeah literally if i just threw that line after the tent above him gives him a halo, she yeah. has a good father. Missy yeah. would never admit this and then scare her. Like, that would have been a better flow there. Yeah, I don't know what happened. It's like okay. a little bit like, disjointed, but that's that's good feedback for sure. Um, yeah. And so I like I like that she's like she's sitting in the tent. And then um, I like that she has this vision of him going into the uh, like his journey back to um, the campsite. Right. Um, because I think that's a neat little detail that, you know, people take shifts and they're away from the campsite to protect everybody else. Like that's a really good, uh, a really good detail. Um, I think, I, I think I want to know a little bit more that she's, uh, she knows she needs to stay awake, but she's having a hard time doing it. Yeah. Um, and like with all these thoughts, I think it's good because we need to know um, uh, the gun situation. Uh, right. We need to know that. Um, and then sort of the foreshadowing of, you know, eight months since it happened. And you're like, okay, what's going on? Uh, <laughs> like what? Which is a good question. Um, and then you say she's never had to use the dart. I want to know if she's ever had to use the Glock. Um, right. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. And I also thought too, maybe as you say this. Do people realize that the dart is part of the CO2 pistol? Be it's a good question. Because like um, I, I would like part of me says like I assume people know it, but I also realize I don't think I knew what a CO2 pistol was until I researched it. It's like it's like a blow dart, it's like a dart gun. And the 42 inch neck on it or whatever, it's still a pistol, but it's like this long or whatever. Right, it's right. Kind of a weird thing. I don't think I knew now that I that, that you're asking. <laughs> I don't think many people know um, so, what it is. So I was trying to like, I think it, it's a point of confusion. Yes. And I think because you have the two weapons, 
Yeah. You have to, <laughs> like we need to, and you know, you describe both of them, but just be, you know, clarify for yeah. those who might, it's easy to confuse. Maybe. I don't know enough about weaponry to know if you... Well, you I no, I think this is a very fair point, especially because the uh, the the pistol, the CO2 pistol, has a very pivotal moment of sm yes. smoking her in the head. And it's like, um, you know, is that strong enough? Like, could she have bent it with hitting her heart? Like, it's like, what's the material? Like, what's this thing made out of? And what is... So I do feel like I need to describe a little bit more what it is or like a good way to do that maybe would be you know an alluding flashback sentence or something about like target practice or something to do with it yeah. like there's a way to increase a bit of detail about her competency with the weapons right and i and i would agree with that i think because i i you know i'm just not familiar with these weapons mm -hmm. there is a lot of um i'm just going to assume that you as the author are are correct um but the clarity of it has to be there uh, as well. And especially if you're going to have two very, very different. Yeah. Like, a, well, two different pistols, but one is like, you know, a tradi right. traditional bullet and lead firearm kind of thing. And the other one is like a CO2 dart pistol, which is non-lethal with a tranquilizer. Right. Which you, which you can use to help develop, uh, build the tension. Cause for me, the moment I find out, okay, we have this CO2 dart that is just going to take Arthur out but then you have a really pissed sister who also has a Glock. <laughs> yeah, so that that was definitely like some of the what I wanted to highlight for sure is like that. Right. There's some tension there. Is like she has a way to kill him, and she's thought about it. You know, right, right. Um, so I think like really defining these these the purpose of these two guns. Yeah, they're they pivotal props. Really, pivotal props. Yeah, yeah. That's good uh, feedback. So yeah, that's my comment for the guns. Um, and then I, I like her her thoughts. Um, she's imagined shooting the boy before. Um, so I find it interesting that she never really calls him her brother. Um, yeah. Which is a... Not for a while anyway. Yeah, right? It, it really defines how she, she views him. Um, and then the, the sense of unfairness that her life is is basically babysitting her, her brother because he's a monster. Or he's something. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, and then I like the Do Monsters Dream. Do they? <laughs> yeah, I like that line. Um, and, and then I really like the image of, of his eyes, that they're blue and just like, because I mean, um, that stands out in blood real well. Yeah. And uh, the both the innocence of the child and then just the the... I guess cold blue eyes. It's it's a it's quite the image which I enjoyed. Awesome, yeah. It struck one with me too. I was well, and her. That's an image she never forgets, right? Right. That that's the contrast that would of be in the brain. Um. So yeah, no. Uh, all that is is good then, and then, um, yeah. Like the flap is unzipped, and her brother's muddy shoes are gone because I'm like, oh god, what's gonna happen now? Yeah. Um. That's the I shit really, hits the fan line. Sorry? That's the shit hits the fan line. Yes, which is excellent. Um, so I, I do like this part about when Missy was born, her mother gave her the name Artemis. But you have the shit hits the fan line, and I find that it, like, it disrupts the tension. 
Yeah. It does like, disrupt this tension. I agree. I was doing that on purpose, probably, I guess. Oh, I'm, yeah, I'm sure there was, there <laughs> is intention. I just, it, it, it I, I don't know if you can move it earlier because I do like it. Like, I like the idea that her mother named her Artemis. She clearly doesn't use that name. It made me wonder why. And then I got a bit distracted from the fact that, like, her brother's not missing yeah. in this. Like yeah, it was, I think, it, yeah, it's an artsy decision that I made for sure. I was like, I was like, crazy line. And then I'm like, this would be a good point to jump into her name. And I just felt like, it's like, I guess it's like I'm playing with the reader a bit. Maybe it doesn't work, but it's like I wanted her name, like the end of it, how it connects, right, was that an Artemis was known as the goddess of the hunt. Right. That's Which I love that idea, but like, or maybe move it down further while she is hunting through the woods yeah like something because you feel like the the pros do not outweigh the cons in that it disrupts the tension it would be better right. better I, to still have it and not disrupt the tension whereas i was like i'm going to disrupt the tension a bit here to make you wait to see what's going on in her head intentionally yeah, which, like which I, is breaking see, breaking the rules a bit yeah I like mean, I, can, I can see where you're going with it i think Either shorten it. Yeah, it could be shorter. Um, because it is, it is, it might be too much of a mi misdirection, I suppose, is where I'm going with it. Yeah. Because again, I do want that piece of information. I feel like it's, it's pertinent. I'm just not sure if it works there for me personally. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not sure where else I'd put it. But I will definitely consider that. I'll especially consider that if other people giving me feedback pick up on the same note. I think that I would only disregard it if I find like if half the people were like, oh, I love that. I loved how you switched it and you made me. Uh, and then if half of them were like, this is weird, I would probably then just make a judgment call. But if over half of the like the, <laughs> the crit criticism is like, you know what? I know what you're trying to do here and it doesn't work, then I think I will, I will change yeah. it because I and clearly. And fair enough. That's because group consensus is very, it important. is, it is helpful. And it's if people come to that independently, right? Like if they're yeah. like, you know, so this whole Artemis bit, then I know like something's up, but I, I, I'm well aware that it was definitely a disruption of the tension but it was like such such a disruption that it was like I kind of wanted the reader for a minute to be like, why is her name important? And then I kind of wanted the moment to be like, oh, right, she's goddess of the hunt, and she's hunting her brother now, and right. that's interesting. I just wanted that to happen, but maybe I didn't pull it off effectively. I'm open. I'm open to that. <laughs> yeah, I'd like I'd like that information. Yeah, but you're just you're also like like shut <laughs> shut up, Missy. Like, let's go, let's go. What happened to the brother? Yeah, well, I, no, mean, I, I could have been playing with my food too much there, too. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. After that, I mean, I I, I like it very much because we we're go, going into, you know, Action. again, the wind is, is strong. Um like calling his name is something she wants to do, but also just the worst idea ever. Um so I, I felt like that part, you know, helped to push the, the tension along. Um, I think I want to, we have a lot of her internal, which I think is 
wonderful because it's, you know, it's fucking Arthur. She <laughs> hates him, the little bastard, yeah. which I think all like just great thoughts, perfect thoughts. Um, but again, it's just like little transition things where it's like, how far has she walked from the tent? Um, uh, yeah, which I direction guess- on? Just really tiny little finicky things, right? Um, there's, yeah, I've definitely like, there's a bit more navel gazing in here than there is like clear, sharp direction. Like there, there, I know there's portions where there's very clear, sharp direction in terms mm-hmm. of action, but then there's others where, yeah, I guess I was making choice, like whether consciously or not making choices about like what's in her head is more important than what's out of her head at this moment. And what's out right. of her head is, but I could see how maybe that's contributed to, it could be that, you know, honestly, this could have been, this could benefit by being a longer story with like another couple of other scenes to kind of give the background information. You know what I mean? Like to kind of extend the buildup while remaining tension in other areas so that right. when this scene hits, there's less of a need for me to kind of be jumping around and g- continually giving kind of fuel and context. That That's a possibility. Right. Cause I mean, I think you've, you've nailed, you've nailed her just completely because it's, it's, she's she's both really pissed off <laughs> and terrified out of her mind and i think you capture that really really clearly um again i think it's just me visually uh like she's hunting in in the woods while having these thoughts so i just need a little bit of um where in the ex- woods no where she's kind of yeah where she, just where she's at and i mean Again, it's just like little transition sentences. It's not anything. Um, yeah, that needs to- just a few like clarifying descriptions. Right, would fix that. Um. So yeah, I like I like that well, all that section. Um, and then we mentioned the the Glock again, and then we have creepy loud crack or not not a bang but a crack. Um, and I like, you know, the description of this, this creature falls backwards. Um, the, you do again, create a, a lot of good like atmosphere. Just, it's like this really confusing scene. She hits herself in the head. So she is disoriented. So it's kind of this frantic uh, trying to get away, but also shoot, um, but she can't. And I think so interestingly enough, when you read the line, pull it, yeah, I like it a lot better than reading it. <laughs> uh, it just it pull it didn't seem like a. I, yeah, I don't know, like, like what? Well, <laughs> like are we? Is it the the trigger or maybe make that a thought that she has? Pull it, like. Yeah, see, I know stylistically, like, I don't actually like. I'm consistent, but I don't actually give thoughts in italics, any, right. anywhere. Um, Okay, I see. But that, so maybe- yeah, something like um, I just I don't I don't know what it is, but it's like I don't like doing it. I like reading it just fine. But when it comes to italics, I don't know. I just don't like writing them. I just like I I want to try to like make the the words somehow. You know that this is internal monologue. It's like I kind of want you to keep you in that zone somehow for for whatever right. reason. So yeah, pull it. I like it for sure but it's i could see how you're like what 
Maybe an exclamation point. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. Italics uh, might benefit. Like this would be a case of italics. You know that she's thinking. Right. This would probably benefit it. Um, and it's something you want to emphasize. So italics might might help there. Um, it's just a moment. Yeah. It just it was it. something that kind of bumped me out of the reading. Um, again, enough. super tricky. Yeah. No, fair enough. I'll... Uh, I'll see what the consensus comes comes back. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> I don't. I don't. It, did, it seems like any anything that you say that I'm I'm not sure about. If I'm going to make a change, it seems like I'm discrediting you or something. Like I'll see what other people think, but that's it's really like it comes. And as you know, it's like if you're beta reading and you got some people great critical yeah. feedback. Sometimes, like what really works for one person doesn't work for someone else. Well, exactly, and the whole point of feedback is literally. Like take what you want from like my interpretation of it. I'm not offended if you don't agree. It's just it, like it's. Well, yeah, no, uh, and that's exactly it. But it's like you had a gut reaction. You had little things come up. That's vital information for me. As you're the reader, I'm the writer. Right. You had no idea. I didn't tell you what the story was. Like this feedback is very good. How you feel when you're reading it is very good feedback. But there, it's like it's like anything. It, um, why it's nice to have a writer's group is, is that sometimes you can get exactly like you could be like, pull it, pulled me out. And there might be, it might be artistic. And for someone else, they might be like, fuck, that line was so good. I just like, right. oh, I love it. It's just, but it's hard to tell if you only get one feedback. So I guess it's like, this is super helpful. And I take everything that I'm going to take and it's, right. and it's vital, but it's like a lesson for people who are listening to the podcast is, it is good to not just like, don't just let your mom read it. Like you want to get, yeah, you want to have a couple of views of feedback because some, and people sometimes with different proclivities or interest as readers, because you get different things. And, you know, I know there's genre and stuff like that. Critical feedback is hard to give. It's hard to receive sometimes too, but having actually a pool of a couple of people, a few people can be really informative because if three people find a problem in one spot, you have a problem, right? Yeah. yeah. But if, if no, like, yeah. whereas like one person does and two people don't, then you're yeah. kind of like, ah, uh, am I going to lose some? Am I going to win some? What's the risk here? Just, yeah. But I'm. And I also think like it's an important point to make too, because um, I know when I started out writing and I had several people read it, I tried to take every person's feedback about everything. Oh, Yeah. Like, it in right and so I learned very quickly that it's just it's impossible you can't do that without satisfying yourself as the writer um without changing your story sometimes and you're just like I, I'm not going to do that um so I learned both as as the writer of the story and then as the person giving the feedback it's it's the ultimately at the end of the day as the writer it is your uh it is your story it's mm -hmm. how you want to tell it and if you don't agree with something or you just um, you know, you, you feel that it's the right words and, and it, and it works, then like, that is okay. There's no, yeah, that's, that's your call to make for sure. And exactly. it does take, take a bit of that. Like when you're early writing for sure, I know we're, we're, we're side legging a little bit, but like <laughs> when you're an early writer, when you haven't done a lot of writing and gotten people giving you feedback, there is this tendency where it's like everything they say is gold and that I got to do everything. And then when you get three people and you got three different perspectives, 
You also got to consider too, for people listening, Crystal is not new when it comes to critical feedback. This is really good critical feedback. People who are new at critical feedback sometimes fall into the trap of they try to like, they want to tell your story like they would tell it. Yes. Yeah. So then they, <laughs> yeah. they're inserting like, oh, what if you started it this way? Or like, are we like, and you got to understand that giving critical feedback is a skill as well as it is a skill to receive it. So not everybody has the gift. Crystal has the gift. Uh, JH has had the gift. Uh, my buddy Garrett has the gift. The people who have been on the podcast doing these stories, they've, they've worked on it. They know how to give feedback. And I think that it's one cool thing about this podcast for people listening and maybe don't have writers groups or they're still kind of working on their thing is like, it's a good example of how to give and receive feedback. Um, for sure. That's, that's my little tangent on that, but no, I'm, I'm just saying like, I'm really, really value it, but it's, it's just funny. It's like, you could, you can tell my resistance sometimes, Hey, when it comes up like, well, I don't know. (laughs) It's, It's all part of the process. It's like, if you're, if you're, if you're asking for feedback, it is a discussion. And again, at the end of the day, if, uh, if you just, if it's not something you're willing to change, it's like, as the person giving feedback, I'm not offended in the slightest. Mm. I've, I feel obligated to tell you how I feel, especially in moments where I feel, I just feel bumped. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I say that because it pulls me out of the story. And as a storyteller, you, you don't want that to, ha- no, to happen. No, you don't. And that's the thing. That's why it's vital information. You don't want to be pulled out. And I know I do have a tendency to sometimes get a little artsy, a little literary. <laughs> so like, I, I really, you know, I've really liked the, the poetry and like the, the, the way the language looks on the paper, but sometimes that instinct while serving me in many great ways can probably sometimes run a little rampant. And this might be an example of it as well as some of the other ones, right? It's possible that it's like, well, this is good and stuff like that, but we're a little bit pulled out. And can we just like how many goddamn feet is she away from the tent? Like, I just need to know. Like that kind of stuff is, yeah. Yeah. This is. But then good. also notice, I am like this is nitpicky stuff, right? Like this is a solid oh, first yeah. draft, and it's like, uh, you know. But also, as someone who likes to receive feedback, I do love it as well because it's things that I haven't thought about either, right? Um, so it's also differentiating. It's like, no, the person doesn't hate your story. They're not like just shitting yeah. all over it. It's just, um, they're they're Yeah. And your story isn't you for people getting feedback too. It's like, <laughs> yeah. Like, like people, yeah. people take that too, where it's like, Oh, but I put all myself into this thing and it's, it's not you. It's just not like no. it is. It is now a piece of art with which you're going to put on the wall and people are going to stand and look at it and you got to be prepared yeah. for that. And it does. And if they don't like it, doesn't mean you don't matter. Doesn't mean that you suck. Like, it's just, it's a piece of art. You got to be willing to get critical feedback. So anyway, let's, let's move on. What else, what other juice can we squeeze out of this? (laughs) (laughs) Segway. Yes. Um, I like the misdirection where you really think it's going to be Arthur, but it's And you caught, Um, you caught that misdirection. Like you weren't confused. No, I, I wasn't, it, um, I, I really like this part because you just basically say the bear crashes and you're like, wait, hold on a second. Um, is Arthur the bear? Is he turning into a bear or is this a separate yeah. uh, uh, creature? 
So there was a, there was like, I just had questions. It didn't make me stop, want to stop reading. Um, and then because I think, uh, a, like quite quickly right after you have a second creature comes out and then I'm like, Oh my God, like now we have <laughs> yeah. just like two, two of these creatures now. Yeah. Um, so even more terrifying, but I also liked it because I feel like it reflects the Glock and the, the, oh, the yeah. because it's like, she's got two, like she now has two creatures. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah. Like I, I thought like it kind of mirrored each other quite nicely. Um, so yeah, all that's good. It's really um, nice and tension filled. And I was like, okay, let's, let's. Yeah. Pretty intense. Gets into the water and. And then I also really liked, um, like, she would rather die than lead Arthur to her father. She would rather die. Yeah, she surprised me there. Because yeah. I, I was, that was pantsing and I was the author and I was like, all right, now you're in the, you're in, I was like, Missy, you're in the boat, right? And it's like, for some reason, like, I was thinking she should be crossing the river to go to her dad. But when I, re but what she knew better than me somehow, it's like she realized that, wait a minute, if Arthur and this other the bears behind me that means i don't have to continue to see if he's gone towards camp therefore what is she going to do she becomes a hero she's like i'm going to lead this thing away and i that so she surprised me there as in a weird as it sounds well interestingly enough as she's getting into the boat and as she's like halfway across i'm i i had the thought of oh my god she's going to <laughs> she's going to leave now right. not only oh. <laughs> To, and then the fact that she's like she would rather and i was like oh okay like i'm back in it yeah good yeah, like, like amazing switch like i i i thought she was going to uh do one thing and she did another and i was impressed with her um <laughs> yeah tough tough her, chick yeah right um and then yeah all of that is good still really tension filled um i like the the visual of the sinking of the of the um canoe right like all that's really good so like so visually i can see all of that happening um and it's still like it's it's in your voice it's the artistic i can see like the the boat sinking we know where we are um so i'm just mentioning that in terms of throwing in a little bit more detail about where she is in the forest right you said um, you did a good job did, here yes, <laughs> the two scenes casually just gonna <laughs> <laughs> yes yes I, I will do that all right um uh, uh yeah so all good um i think my only other thing is is the um chekhov's gun uh so if you have if you have your guns at the beginning they have to go off. They have to go off. By the end. Ah, uh, I, I love that. I love that you... you. It's, it's, um, it's actually something like in, in book three that I had. I had a gun at the beginning and it did not go off at the end. And I had to add it, like I had to add Do another you, thing where... you feel let down because it doesn't? Yeah, because you're reading it and you're like, yes, gun, awesome, okay, like... Ah, uh, that's then, so funny. That's so funny to me because like I, I'm aware of this this thing where it's like, I wrote a story one time where that was the concept where I was like, what if the concept is literally I take that metaphor and there's a gun. That's the mm -hmm. story. And then it was like, by the end, I think it goes off. But in this case, like 
I know I put a smoking gun or whatever. Like I know that I put them in there and I was like, but it can't, like, it doesn't have to go off. Like I, I, I fought the cliche or whatever that is, whatever that's called. I fought it, but you still felt unsatisfied. I did. Damn it. I did. <laughs> she shoots the Glock and because it's waterlogged, it does not go off. I want to know who does she choose to shoot? Right. Like who is she, who is she shooting? You want to know? I, yeah. So it's, yeah, it is kind of like, it does get waterlogged and I imply that it's waterlogged. So. Cause uh, she's pointing it. She's, she's like full on. She's going to shoot it. And then she. to pull a trigger. And then. You wanted her to kill her brother. Say it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't. I really did. I wanted her to, to shoot the bear. Um, but it could be in a moment of fear where she's like, it's that split second decision. She shoots, then realizes that the bear is like half decapitated and, um, right. Or maybe, maybe the gun could go off like in the canoe scene, like where she's on the boat. Maybe she tries to shoot it and misses or something. Right. Would or, that be, yeah, would that in, be satisfying? Um, bring it in earlier. Yeah. I think yeah. either it's, way I would be more satisfied. This is, we talk about this a lot, and I'm like, okay, cool. It's strapped yeah. to her leg. This is amazing. Yeah, well, okay, so this, yeah, this, the other pistol goes off. The other pistol does go off. The CO2. Yeah, no, no, sorry. The Glock is strapped to her leg, right? Yeah, yeah, no, no you're right. I was just saying, like, you're right. The Glock doesn't go off. The other one goes off. But again, you spend you spend time describing these two weapons. You want them to go off? You just, you're just trigger happy. But maybe I'm just really violent. And I just want, like... <laughs> Yeah. All this bloodshed. No, but that's uh, that's probably reflection of like if you feel that way, I wonder if other people they're probably I'd be curious. I'd be curious. Um yeah, like curious on that point because um it is unfulfilling a promise that I make in a way. I say right. I've got these guns, and it's like the typical example of that, but there are other ways to to have the loaded gun in a story, right? Like, and it doesn't have to be a gun. It's obvious, like something that adds tension because it could be used with great force or it could really alter the situation. Oh, um, exactly. Yeah. And you bring that I up early. Like, yeah. I knew you were doing it deliberately that you didn't have her shoot the Glock deliberately. Like I knew that's what you were, <laughs> you were doing, but for the whole, like for the whole time, I'm like, this Glock has to go off. Like that has to, like, it has to cause again, it, it's such, it's, I like the fact that she has one weapon that will just, hmm. you know, make her brother sleep and another one and she's alone. Her dad's not around Yeah, and she's having all these thoughts. Um, she could have killed him. I don't want her to kill Arthur, but I want to believe that she could till the very end and then she doesn't. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. So I'd be very curious to see other people's feedback on that, on that specific yeah. point. Yeah, if you're listening, like, let me know, hit me up because that, that would be good. I mean, part of me says maybe I could tweak it. Like maybe she fires it and it is waterlogged, but she doesn't fire it at him. Maybe even she just like fires at the ground or something dramatic, right? Yeah. And badass. Don't forget the. the yeah. It's gotta be badass. Or she takes, she takes it and she throws it. <laughs> She's just. <laughs> <laughs> like she, a, a click 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 and then she throws yeah, it yeah. yeah and i feel like that would be satisfying as well 
That's funny. That's so funny that I wasn't satisfied because, uh, yeah, it's like I was I was subconsciously playing with that theme. Like, there's a gun. Is it going to go off? Is it going to go off? No, because she's not a murderer. <laughs> like, <that> was... <laughs> yeah, I totally know is the point that she's she's not a murderer. Um, yeah, it's it's funny. It's funny how she would use the gun. Did you like the end? I did like the end. Yeah, like I thought, I thought it because it could go either way. You, I mean, ultimately, you want to hope that she doesn't want to shoot her brother in. In yeah. reality, um, or or harm him, like she still she does, uh, she does still love him, and then uh, she comes to the realization when he saves yeah. her, or she doesn't know if he's saved her um, deliberately, or if it was if it was uh, yeah. Blood love. It's interesting about that too is that there is a question of like, so when she goes out looking for her brother, um, if you follow the timeline about amount, as much time it would take for her father to go back to camp. And she's like estimating about that he'd be back there now. Um, and then she falls asleep and wakes up. W- within the time frame, chances are she would have slept very little. She would have been on watch and she would have passed out for like five, 10 right. minutes. And so when she actually steps outside of the tent, I also say that, you know, like you, t- you turn quicker, takes longer to turn away. And then she has that question of like, did he turn already? Um, do I call for him? Do I not call for him? Part of these, because it's like, he could just be around the corner. He could just be there and he hasn't turned yet. And she still has a chance to catch him before the solitude makes him change. And because of that, Oh, what the the hell am I saying? Oh, because of that, it's like, did he know there was a bear there? Is it possible that he heard the animal or something? Like, did he leave? to protect his sister because he knew that he'd become the monster. Like I want, I don't know if that question will pop in any reader's minds, but it did for me at the end where I was like, well, was that the case? Did he intentionally like, did he hear it? Did he hear what was going on? And did he run away or like, was there something in him that knew he wanted to save her? Or was it just that he was exhausted by the bear and he managed to reel it in just enough not to kill her? Was it that the bear saved her? from her brother is the bear the hero of the story or is oh, the brother so was, yeah it was like that was something that i thought about afterwards i was like wait a minute like like you could have wrote this whole story from his perspective and he'd probably surprise us you know right um yeah because like again i do like that question of of she doesn't know you know it uh but she yeah she takes the faith of it where she's like he's yeah. looking at her she's kind of exhausted is he just exhausted right um or is that he doesn't have, does he have nothing left? Or is he choosing to hold back? Is he really keeping this in? And that right. they both choose to hold back. Which I think is like, again, it's a common theme in that type of story. The werewolf, is he, is, is he capable of um, not killing his family? Um, or is is it just like an impossible thing that if, yeah. he, if he gets out? So... Um, so I think it was like having a bear, like another animal in there was really interesting. Um, I think you'd have to add more or change a bit of it um, because the bear is, is, is sort of a surprise element. Yeah. That yeah. I'm not thinking the bear has been there the whole. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's like, 
it's just a question, but I don't like, it's not the point of the story is to raise right. his motive. It's like, this is how it worked out. And she, it's about her basically resenting her brother and hating him for what he did. And the dynamic of her father being on her brother's side still. And like, it goes from that to her feeling sorry for him for the first time. She finally is able to walk in his shoes for just a moment. And it's enough for her to that, like, that's the change. And I pick something up. um, That Alice is me talking about my own story, but I pick something up that was like, as after I read it and you started talking, I looked at the, I looked at it and it blew my mind that I did not do this consciously, but, the best because you're like oh i am like yeah this was i I, oh it's like this is just the first line of the story is it's her turn finally right the story is about her brother turning all the time so that word turn right right so it's her turn She's changing from one thing to another. Oh, yes. She turns from hateful towards her yeah. brother. Yeah. Into. To, there you go. And it's, yeah, it's her turn finally. And it's been six yeah. months, right? So it's like that she's been going through this, holding this against him. And then this bizarre yeah. event happens where he winds up kind of saving her life. And she turns and changes. Right. A lot- <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Nicely done. I didn't mean to. Like, and now. That was the first line. Yeah, that was just the first line where it was like, damn, like I wasn't even thinking where this story is going to go. The the language of turning doesn't come until much later. Like it was, yeah. Yeah. it was totally unconscious. But that's like a perfect foreshadowing line of the whole damn story. That's so great. Like, oh. see those moments again. It's why pantsing seems so appealing to me because it's just like, oh, it's in there. Yeah. It's all in there. Um, yeah, I hope you uh, got some stuff for my feedback yeah. at least. No, totally, totally. I got a lot. I really appreciate it. And um, I really appreciate it. And we like, well, we spent like an hour on it. So like, thank you. Yeah, so um, yeah, no problem. This is a very in-depth dive into like the specifics of the story. And, and uh, so here's the thing. I feel like, like there's more that I want to talk to you about but my battery on the iPad that's helping me record this device, which is right there, is actually going to die. And so I might take this as, and even though it's plugged in, so, but I might take this as a sign that you need to come on again. And okay. next time, maybe not a story challenge, but maybe I, maybe we could talk about some deeper issues that would be of interest because we have so much to talk about and, uh, I don't want it to be cut off in the middle of that. Sounds fair. Yeah. And I, I would agree with that. Yeah. So you'd, you'd come on again sometime. I can definitely come back on. That is, that is not a problem. I feel like we've been talking uh, pretty much nonstop. So I, I feel like <laughs> there's, you know, this is good. Uh, you're, you're sick of it now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, no, I, I really appreciate it. Um, I'm really enjoying these series of stories too, like having authors like yourself on where we just get to challenge each other and actually dive into creative things. And like what I want to do with the podcast is be creative fuel for people who are creative 
And so I want to have a variety of different kinds of people on disciplines and talk, but there's something about story that is a very fundamental creative um, power that kind of connects and unites most forms of creativity, narrative and story in some way. And so I really like actually taking examples of stories, diving into them and pulling them apart just so that people understand. Um, like it's just, it's just energizing, I think. Absolutely. Like I've, um, it's, it has helped because in writing these stories that, you know, I, I got super pumped about it. I got super excited about what I was writing and, um, that, that feeling really is the core of why I write. And I also get really excited about other people's stories. So even in, in just talking, you know, through yours, again, we just, we did an hour just yeah, on, on it flew by. your story. <laughs> it's because I'm, it energizes me and it pumps me up. And, uh, you know, I, I'm enjoying what I'm reading and I'm really into it and, um, and I'm enjoying what I'm writing. So uh, I think in general, it's that creative process itself that basically just fuels me through through every day and keeps me writing and keeps me engaged so thank you for inviting me to do this and to yeah no problem um, join in on the on the story writing it's been absolutely helpful in so many different ways that's awesome uh, like i'm i'm honored that you came on i know i know that you said you hadn't finished a short story in a while so yeah yeah it's it's really good it's just very validating for me to know that uh, besides uh, my listeners who are hopefully getting something out of this, that it's directly impacted you as a guest and help fuel, you, fuel your creativity because that's what it's doing for me. Um, Crystal Bork, you've been a wonderful guest. Where can people yeah. find your work? I am at uh, crystalbork.com. You can also find me on uh, Amazon or Kobo. I have both um, ebook and paperback versions of my novels, my Book of Eve series uh, for sale. Um, and then you can also find me on social media, mostly uh, Instagram at uh, Crystal Bork Author. Right on. And people should go and follow and read everything you've written and your collections of short stories as well, because don't you have a couple of those? Yes, I do. I have yes. a collection of six short stories. Um, and you can also find those on Amazon or Kobo. Yes. Go read them. They're terrific. Okay. Thank you. And I'm going to cut it right Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you found any of this valuable, please consider subscribing, recommending this to a friend, or leaving a positive review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you happen to be listening. If you watch this on my Servant YouTube channel or Facebook page, please leave a comment and share. I love to hear from my listeners and learn from them. Learn more about me at www.servant.com. That's S-R-V-E-N-T.com. Thank you again for your time. Now go be creative and same.